0: at loveisrael.org that's one word loveisrael.org now here's baruch with today's lesson
1: there is a constant sin that plagued the people of god and that sin is idolatry and we see that many times the prophets speak of idolatry as a spiritual adultery Rather than being faithful to God, their husband, Israel, committed spiritual adultery and went after other gods, even though Moses warned them and commanded them not to do so. And revealed to them to do so would bring about God's judgment, his curse, instead of his goodness and his blessing. Now, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, why was idolatry so common? Why was it popular among the people? Because idolatry is rooted in the desire of the flesh, what you want rather than what God commands. Idolatry makes you your own God. You decide what is right and wrong, and you choose idols. that that condone and approve and command the various things that you want to hear. So it's rooted in one's will for the purpose of the gratification of one's flesh. And all the while, when one does that, they believe that they are being religious. Nothing could be further from the truth. And when we look at prophets, all the prophets... They warned against the end result of idolatry, God's consuming judgment. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Isaiah and chapter 57. The book of Isaiah and chapter 57. Now, we're going to study in this session the first 13 verses. And let me share with you the language. The vocabulary, the grammar, this is a difficult portion of scripture. Now, I was sharing this with a friend of mine in the States, and he looked through his Bible, and he said to me, I don't see why you think this is difficult. And here's why there was such a disconnect between us. Because he was looking at the New International Version. And this is not a literal translation it is oftentimes a paraphrase where it takes portions of of the text and then it interprets it for you so he was not reading the actual text but an interpretation a view a summary a view for what the verse was saying so when you study an interpretation in common language, it's much easier than dealing with the difficulties of the original language and things that, that can be interpreted, perhaps, in different ways. There are some difficult words, words not to know what they mean, but how they should be understood in the unique use of them in this passage. So when you wrestle with the original language, it can be much more difficult than looking at a translation which interprets the passage for you and gives you in their translation what they think the passage means. So let's begin. Let's take this slowly and carefully as we see what God is saying. Now, in a general statement, we can say this. God is contrasting the man, the woman of God, the one of faith, the one that is submissive to the commandments of God, the ways of God. He's contrasting these individuals with those who are practicing idolatry, those who have removed themselves from the constraints of the word of God. Now, they are constraints, but they are for a good purpose. God's constraints through his commandments keep us in the borders of where God wants us to be. Let me say that another way. God's commandments keep us in his will. When we transgress a commandment, when we rebel godly instruction, what his word teaches us, we move outside the will of God. And when we're outside the will of God, we're not going to hear God clearly. We're not going to be blessed by him we're not going to be a recipient of his good provision in our life transgressing the word of God puts us outside the will of God and there we're going to be very vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy not having the resources the spiritual help that we need to overcome these attacks so let's begin we see in the first two verses of of this passage the benefits god's promise to those who are sensitive to his word who are walking in faith let's begin verse one the righteous one perishes now that doesn't sound very good a righteous one in this world perish and he says and there is no man that places upon the heart meaning it's an idiom, no man pays attention to what has happened, understands the reason behind it. Furthermore, he says, anche chesed, anshe' men of chesed, grace. So men of grace, or gracious individuals, they are gathered. Now that expression, being gathered up, has to do oftentimes it's an idiom as well for for dying being removed from this world and he says and there is no one that understands that because of evil the righteous one is gathered meaning the righteous one is removed he's taken away so god is revealing to us something that he does there are times that god will take an individual in other words That person dies. He is removed from earth, but the reason why is that evil was approaching in God, and what a great thing it is to be taken from this world and to be in the presence of God. Where God is, there is no evil. There is only goodness. There is his presence. There is joy from being in the same location as the living God and this is what the righteous one can expect so this first verse tells us of the benefits of living righteously demonstrating one's faith being a recipient of grace and having grace work in one's life now let's look at verse 2. now here again it's only when you pay attention to the grammar that you see things differently than many translations have And people will ask me, well, wait a second. What about the people who are making these translations? Well, oftentimes, they are not consulting the original language for every verse. What do I mean by that? Well, there will be committees, for example. There will be a committee that is assigned the book of Isaiah. And they're using as their foundation an earlier translation. And therefore, what they do is they discuss any passages that they believe that it needs to be that translation, that source translation, where it needs to be changed. Now, in those cases, they will consult the original language. But for many, many verses, the vast majority, there's no issue, meaning there's no one on the committee that wants to necessarily make a change to a great number of verses usually there are those verses that are controversial verses that are well known that are used as a proof text something that has significant theological implications one way or another this is what they they ponder they pour over and they argue to come to a conclusion but the vast majority of a book For example, if the committee is studying Isaiah and responsible for its translation, the vast, vast, vast majority of the book of Isaiah, they don't discuss. They're not going through word by word and looking. They're accepting the source translation that their new translation is derived from. But when we look at verse 2, it says, "Yavo Shalom and what we should realize is that shalom is indeed the the subject so it's not saying he will come in peace that would be hu yavo be shalom there's no word for with peace or in peace and therefore peace will come god is saying in the connection with the verse we've just looked at what God's going to do with the righteous, he's saying that, yes, there are righteous ones, that is, men of grace, that they are going to experience something. Peace will come, and it says, and they will rest upon their beds, meaning they are going to have rest instead of suffering the evil of this world they are going to experience peace and the outcome of that peace is that they're going to experience rest in other words they're going to be comforted and there's an idiom here for their beds meaning a place of safety a place of security now we're going to see as we get into other verses that this same word for bed is used but here it's being used the same word in contrast Instead of being a true place of comfort, of rest, it becomes a place of idolatry. A place of idolatrous practices that are displeasing to God. They are not comforting the soul, that inner being of the person, true peace, but they are upon their beds are gratifying their flesh. That's the difference. Look again at at verse 2. Peace will come, and they will be comforted upon their beds. Who's that? He who walks, and we can find it being before him. Now, many will say uprightly, but if we look at this word, and we do a good study of it on on its, its meaning, it means to be before someone, in the presence of someone. So what it's emphasizing here is, yes, he goes uprightly, but literally he goes before him and the him is, is God. Now, if it says he walks in his uprightness, I would say that this is not the literalness of that verse. It means that this one is going to be brought into peace. He is going to find rest and that this one is going to be going into the very presence of god before him now look at verse three verse three the first letter of that verse is the letter vav and here that letter is a conjunction and it can be and or but now that one letter can be translated a couple different ways and or but whether it's being used as a conjunction of unity or one of disunity one of contrast and here there's nothing uncertain about this there's nothing debatable it is being used to show a contrast a contrast between the men or women of grace the one who is a righteous person the one who is going to experience god's peace and being in his presence. Now we're dealing with those that God is not pleased with. Those whom God is going to show his contempt, his judgment. So look at verse three. He says, but you, and Isaiah is speaking to the majority of the people, the leadership of Israel. He says, but, but you draw near to hear." So he's saying, come close to hear." And who's he speaking to? Well, literally, Onena. This is the children, the ones who are subscribing to what we would call sorcery, those things that are of the occult. So he says, you draw near to hear." Who's the subject? The sons and they can mean sons or daughters it's an inclusive term those who are practicing sorcery and who are they they are the seed of the adulterer and it's speaking about a people speaking about god's people and it says and she who plays or will play the harlot it's probably who has played the harlot in the past because of the vav before this last term so he's saying to these individuals that you you have been born out of adultery that's your character your heritage and because of that you have played the harlot and here it's speaking about harlotry as spiritual harlotry which is idolatry verse 4. Concerning whom have have you mocked? And here it's in the plural, you all, this people. Who have you mocked? Who have you broadened your mouth? Now, why are they broadening their mouth, making their mouth wide? It says so they can lengthen their tongue, which is simply to stick out the tongue. And he says, surely you, and here's what he's speaking of. These ones who are practicing idolatry, sorcery, the occult, he says, they are what? Children of Pesha. Pesha is crime or simply transgression in the spiritual sense. They are of the seed, Shaker, which is Sheker, which is falsehood. So they are children of of crime both spiritually and and crime in a normal sense and they are seed a false seed they do not belong to the seed of Abraham verse 5. now verse 5 it wants to to share with us in a more specific way what the problem is now I've shared with you it's idolatry but we have some clear indication of this at this time that he means adultery but spiritual adultery verse five ha nechamim ba aileen aileen it's not speaking about a a tree but it's speaking about an idol or in this case idols in the plural and this first word means to warm oneself and it can be to be excited to be aroused to be enthused about something but it's something in this context that is not pleasing to god it's something that is is pleasing to the flesh not the the spirit of god so these who warm themselves excite themselves please themselves with with idols and where are they underneath every refreshing tree meaning green tree a tree of of how could we say a tree of of refreshment meaning a green tree a strong tree a pleasant tree a pretty tree and this is an expression that we have come across several times in our study of scripture Mitachat is an idiom for idolatry a place of idolatry Now, some have said it's related to the same type of mentality that that Chava, that is Eve, had when she went to the tree of the knowledge of good, of evil. She went there for herself. She went there to exalt herself, doing what she thought was best. And this is the same, same uh, mindset for those who go under a tree of refreshment and what did they do there well they were excited they were enthused they were renewed but their flesh was renewed and notice what they were willing to do how they were deceived what idolatrous mindset brings about it says there they slaughtered now this is the word for a religious slaughtering it's not a word for just killing but it's a religious slaughtering of their children and it says as well that they did so among the, the uh, uh, rivers. And this is a, a word for, for a pleasant place underneath the cliffs or the clefts of the rocks. So they went to this place. It was beautiful. It was pleasing to the eye. And they gratified themselves. And the outcome of that was them slaughtering ritually their children among dislocation, among the could be simply the, the rivers, by the rivers. Verse 8. Now, what did they get from it? What was their, their payment? See, God gives us good blessings when we serve him. Following his will positions us where we can receive the outcome of his promise wonderful things but look at verse six but the smooth ones of the river now it's speaking most scholars believe about the smooth stones it says with the smooth stones of the river this is your portion this is what you get now these uh smooth stones were used in idolatrous practices they were it talked about uh uh, stone being used as idols they went and they get nice smooth stones and they worship them it says they they are your lot now lot can also it's a word goral which can also relate to this is their future all they get is a bunch of rocks nothing of significance, nothing of, of spiritual, good spiritual implications, nothing that resembles life, none of the provisions of God. They simply get rocks. And it says also to these, to these rocks, they, they give a, an offering of, of a libation, a liquid offering and upon they bring up also their gift their mintcha, their sacrifices and he says concerning these I will be comforted meaning I will will respond favorably to them now this word for being comforted it's a very significant word it's the same root where the village of of Capernaum Now, Capernaum, we all know this became the headquarters when Messiah began his his years of service for what he was sent into this world to do. When he began that at the age of 30, he left Nazareth and he went to a place called Capernaum or Kephar Nechum. And this word Nechum is here, the same root in a different form, but same root word and god is saying am i going to be comforted now what is the outcome of god being comforted the outcome of god being comforted is his best plans what he originally desired can once again be the reality for his people this comfort this is an important word especially in the book of isaiah and it speaks about what messiah will bring about he ministered his headquarters was was Kephar, Nehum, Capernaum, because he was going to bring comfort. And this comfort to his father, this appeasement, making righteousness, bringing about justification, all of that was in order that God's good plan, his good purposes for the people might yet be fulfilled. It brought about a spiritual renewal that restored things back to God's original intent. Verse 7 upon a high and exalted mountain you set your bed now again he's contrasting the the heavenly bed a place of comfort true comfort with the falsehood of idolatry and the bed that they make for themselves look again at verse 7 Upon a high and exalted, meaning lifted up a high mountain, you set your bed. Also there, you you bring up, you go up in order to sacrifice a sacrifice. So you go to a mountain, but not the proper mountain, not the temple mountain, but rather a place of idolatry not the place where god's name his character dwells there verse 8. now he's saying here with a different mountain and you're going to see some of the foundational things that are very familiar to the jewish community are being alluded to here but in a different way why do i say that well we all know that god one of the commandments is that you take the word of God, specifically the commandments of God and write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Now, the term doorposts is mezuzah. And this was the same place that the blood of redemption, the Passover redemption, the blood of that lamb was placed. It was first placed on the doorpost. Then later the commandments, what's the teaching? First, you must be redeemed in order that the commandments of God will have relevance, and you will be in the state, the spiritual condition, to obey the word of God. But notice what it says here, in verse verse eight, and after the door, not on the doorpost, but after the door and the doorposts, you set. Your memorial, your remembrance instead of in the place that God commands, they do it in a different location after the door and the doorpost. Not there, this is where they place their memorial, their remembrance. He says, For from me, God is speaking, there is a departure. He says, For from me, you have revealed. So it is clear now by what they're doing that they have left, departed from God. And you go up into the wide places of your your bed. In other words, they have made, they have gone up and they have have made the place of their bed broad. Meaning this, they have, have built up for them their own resting place. All this is saying is this, the people are rejecting God's provision, God's purpose, God's plan, his instructions. They reject all of this. They are building up the future that they want. And that's what it's saying. You're making broad your bed. You've gone up to do that instead of saying, I want what God wants to give me. I want the portion of the Lord what he has set apart for me in his will. The people don't want that. They want what they want and they are going to labor hard to get what they desire, not the desires of God. He says, va tikrat lach. Now, this is also an expression I've shared with you before. You cannot say in Hebrew la sot brit, which means to make a covenant you can't say the word to make the normal word for making something when you make a covenant in hebrew you have to say that you cut a covenant and this word is indeed in regard to a covenant so he says look at the middle of verse 8 va tikrat lach." meaning that you cut for yourselves and it's an idiom for you've made a covenant and from them meaning of them of these individuals these idolatrous things these idols it says you've cut a covenant with them and you love what you love their beds now what it's saying is again they have exchanged something they're not interested in the the beds the comfort places that god has they're not interested in the kingdom of god where god wants them to be where he's going to provide rest and peace they reject that and what are they doing they are going to the idolatrous things the idolatrous practices in order to make their bed there in other words that's what they love and then we have an expression yad Chazit Chazit. We know what that means. It's the same word root for the word chazon, which is a vision. This is a verbal form for the concept of having a vision or seeing a vision. It's a word of perceiving something. Now many English translations will say there you have have seen nudity and they put it in this sense. But the word that they translate nudity and many will say it's a a hebrew idiom i'm not aware of this maybe i'm wrong on that maybe i'm unknowledgeable of this idiom but i don't see anything for that basis it's the word yad which more often than not refers as we'll see in a moment to power or authority what they say is this They've made their own beds, idolatrous beds. They have determined where they're going to be, for they have seen their power, meaning this. They have accomplished what they wanted. This is a fulfillment of the vision of the yad, the hand, the power. Yad is synonymous with, with power or deed. They've seen the deed. They want this. That's what it's saying. I don't see a basis for the concept of nudity in in the end of verse 8 now let's look at verse 9 you now it's speaking about the people israel in a feminine way you singular meaning you or or she but in this case it's you you travel to a king now this king is not The king of kings and the lord of lords it's not referring to god he says you travel to a king and with oil and that means with scented oil and you multiply your perfume so all of this is an outward and here again if you're a good student of the bible it will tell us for example in the book of shir hasharim the book of song of songs that a pleasant fragrance or ointment that is pleasant is good deeds a godly character but these people don't have good deeds they don't have a character that that resembles god's character that god would be pleased with so they have to come before for the king that they're worshiping which is the king of their own making and they come before him with with oil and with the abundance of perfumes and it says They send forth literally you send forth it's it's second person singular feminine you send forth your messengers unto far away so it's an emphasis far away and what happens you humiliate yourself unto sheol sheol the place of death instead of reaching humbling yourself in the right way and being exalted what they do is that they act disgracefully they humiliate themselves not humble but humiliate themselves and their end result is going to be sheol they're not going to know that peace they're not going to know that rest they're not going to experience that comfort they're not going to have any of the things that god wants them to have and remember all of this is in contrast to what we learned in the first two verses now look at verse 10. in the abundance of your way you are exhausted meaning simply this there's no peace there's no comfort there's no rest in these things all these things they want to please and satisfy the flesh but in the end he's saying it does not bring this about and it says lo amart noash Now, the term noash is a word of of despair, discouragement. It is spiritually being exhausted without any, any uh, hope for that which is good. But the word simply means to, to be of despair. And he says, you will not say, that's the problem. You do not say, you will not say what you're really feeling, that it's not satisfying, that it's not pleasing, that it's not good for you. What happens? Chayat yadecha. Now here again, yadech. Excuse me, chayach yadech. The the life of your hand. Here again, hand. It's it's a a idiom for oneself, the very essence of a person. And it's saying here that you have found the very life of your hand. You have become powerful concerning this. He says, it's because of this false sense of, I'm great, I'm superior, uh, things are going to work out eventually, and here's what I would, would liken this to. If you listen to some of what I would call the, the sensationalism of, of our faith, and there's a show called It's Supernatural and you look at that and the guests that that the host has and they're always talking about how i went to heaven how god revealed this i had this experience and that experience and it's always now i can decree this that that i have the power the legal right spiritually to declare this to make this to happen it's all about what denying the fact that these individuals they are false teachers They ought not be listened to. They do not know scriptural truth. And you say that's judgmental. It is evaluating things accurately. Just listen to what they say. You see their testimony is is coming from their minds as they're speaking. It's not something that is a true experience. And this is what these individuals, they find life in their own power. They they are, are mustering this up and it says al ken therefore lo meaning therefore because they find some false strength of themselves they will not admit that they are afflicted or literally this word means to be sick that they are sick spiritually they will not admit that that they are not under the authority of the spirit of god but a different different spirit And we see individuals that that say, profess that the Spirit of God, I sense the Spirit of God now is mighty moving among us. And people start having these ridiculous, ungodly, unverifiable experiences. We don't see that these are verified in the scriptures, these type of things. Where do you see that someone who gets down on the floor and moves around like an animal, and begins to to bark or to laugh or to cry out in agony and where do you see that is how the holy spirit moves is that the fruit of the spirit is that what we see in the scripture no and it's it's tragic today that there's individuals and and i know one congregation and and the people there are are nice people many of them i believe are sincere in their faith but they have been deceived by believing this group of, of false teaching and false manifestations of the Spirit of God or accurate manifestations of demons, that it's legitimate that this is God. It's not God. They won't admit that they are spiritually sick. That's what he's saying at the end of, of verse 10. Now look at verse 11. Viet me da act. Da act, we're talking about being concerned worrying some will translate it to be fearful but it's the next word so it says and whom are you concerned with whom are you fearful of for you are lying that you have lied and he says from me you do not he says me you do not remember and not upon your heart meaning you do not purpose your heart in regard to me and why is that well look again he says whom do you are you concerned about whom are you fearful of for you will lie that's the the expression that they're speaking falsehood kosev me you do not remember And he says you do not purpose upon your heart you're not paying attention surely i have been quiet god has allowed this for the purpose of people repenting understanding the fruitlessness of their activity he's given them time but he says forever and i will will not be feared you mean forever you're not going to fear me that you're going to because i've been silent and i haven't brought about judgment and i have not destroyed you i have not consumed you with my wrath for that because i've been silent he says forever forever me you're not going to fear look at verse verse 12. now in verse 12 god is going to give an evaluation he's looking at these idolaters And he's telling them about his perception of them and their behavior, verse 12. And I will declare your righteousness. What you think is right. I'm going to look at what you are doing and evaluate it under my righteous terms and your works. And he says, concerning what you think is right, concerning your works, your deeds, he says, (inaudible) Belo yo ilucha." which means they will not be beneficial. They will not be profitable to you. They're not going to have a good conclusion for you. Verse 13, and we'll conclude. Now, verse 13 is a summary. When we look at the next part of this chapter next week, there is a, an entirely different, different message. But he says this. When you cry out. He says, your collection, and the implication is your collection of idols. When you cry out, with, will your collection of idols, now the word idol's not there, but it's understood, will, will they save you? And he's going to say what idols are. He says, all of them, they are going to be lifted up by the wind, meaning this, there's no substance to them. Oftentimes the word "wind," when it's used in a natural sense, it speaks of that which is uh, of emptiness, and he says they are so empty the wind is just going to blow them away. He says taken by hevel. Hevel is is that which is of vanity, that which is of again. It's a synonym for that which has no value, no substance, no anything that's what he says about their idols it doesn't produce anything it's all all in vain it's all in futility but notice how he gives hope he says but the one who trusts the one who takes comfort the one who trusts the one who believes the one who finds shelter it's a very broad word the one who trusts in me he will inherit the earth he will take possession and this means a word for inheriting as well it will be his what will be my holy mountain meaning this they're going to be brought And many times that expression holy mountain god's holy mountain is an idiom for the kingdom that they are going to take possession they're going to be part of that kingdom hope that kingdom promise so we look here And we see a very significant distinction between those who are of grace, those who who demonstrate righteousness, and those that are practicing idolatry. Those who are committing spiritual adultery. Very, very different what these two will expect or should expect from an eternal standpoint. And the question that you have to answer is this. Am I believing and basing my life truly on the scriptures or am I being deceived like Israel was at this time and buying into an idolatrous uh, religious practice, doing things that are not based upon the scripture, but based and rooted in what I want, my desires, what I find pleasing, what I find gratifying, what I think is going to lead me to what I want to experience. In the end, Israel was in a state of deception. They had been deceived by following after their desires rather than God's desire. And especially many people today are deceived as well. Don't you be one of them. Base your decisions, your thoughts, your actions upon the truth of Scripture. Shalom from Israel